Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can check us out uh, at the YouTube channel where you get, in addition to the regular podcast feed, quick take reviews of uh, some movies, including one that I uh, took in at the today's subject, the Renegade Film Festival. As well as, but even if you just subscribe at Apple, Google, Spotify, Good Pods, rate and review, subscribe, just every little bit helps and get the word out. I know Good Pods, we're actually doing pretty well on the film history uh, front, and I appreciate everybody listening. And uh, just subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It is very helpful. You can also check us out at patreon.com backslash sonic cinema. In addition to seri- ongoing series like Life's Soundtrack for Easy Riders and Raging Bulls or Leaving the Collection, you also get reviews of short film blocks at film festivals such as Renegade, which all of those are now online, as well as Oscar nomination discussion and Q&A excerpts on the uh, golden age era. And that is at patreon.com backslash sonic cinema. The Renegade Film Festival is officially behind us, and this is very, very much becoming one of my favorite, one, one of my favorite experiences throughout the year. And that is a tribute to Vanessa Wright the co-founder of the film festival and it just everybody who's involved and i i think it's that sense i've talked about before there's a sense of community to renegade that just is particularly special and i i i think it it's what makes it stand out for the people who do attend, whether you're a filmmaker, whether you're a casual movie watcher, whether you're a member of the press, whether you are a juror, it's, it's, it's all part of the same family. And I, I think family is one of the most important things that Vanessa fosters when it comes to Renegade. It's one of the things that's most important to her. In my written discussion on Renegade, I talked about that sense of community. I, I talked about what it feels like to attend the festival. And uh, today, for the podcast, I wanted to focus on the films. And some of the ones that were my favorites, some of the experiences that were my favorites, um, all of the features did get reviewed in one form or another, and you can read about read or listen about those uh, at the links on the Sonic Cinema page for my written thoughts on Renegade as well as this podcast. But I, I wanted to share about the films in this context because it just, it kind of makes sense to keep those two, the podcast and the uh, written word separate. Because the podcast, I, I do want people to listen to it and feel like they're getting a different 
type of perspective on a film festival like Renegade. <clears throat> and so without further ado, we will get to the films. And I wanted to start with a screening that was not technically part of the film festival, but it happened the Sunday after the film festival ended. But it's, it's for a film that debuted at the 2020 Women in Horror Film Festival, but in a new form. And that was Kay Levin's debut of her director's cut of Black Lake, which I reviewed over at In Their Own League. And one of the things that I love, and A, I love the fact that it was at the plaza, but one of the things I loved about the experience of Black Lake Director's Cut is that it is very much Black Lake, which if you've, you're familiar with me, you know how much I love that film. It's one of the best films I've seen in the 2020s so far. And the Director's Cut just solidifies that much. And I, I love the way that Kay has reshaped the film whether it's musically, whether it's narratively, and I, I think it's just a stronger film in general compared to a film that I was already a huge fan of. And whenever uh, it becomes available, whether it's through other film festivals, whether it is online, I do hope people check out the director's cut. Right now, she's continuing uh, the run with Maya, which it's going to be at the Salem Film Festival this year, which is very exciting, as well as some of the uh, films, other films from Renegade this year. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing how those uh, do over at Salem because of the fact that this was a terrific bunch of films. I wanted to start out by... Um, after Black Lake, I did want to start out with talking about the features this year. When it comes to the feature programming at Renegade, I, I, I think it's always, there's, it's weird because I do, while I, I think it's kind of strong, I also think it's, it's a weird collection year in and year out. Like, you can't really pin down the programming in terms of, oh, you know, this is such a great group, or, oh, this one is, eh, they're, they're kind of a mixed bag. I, I think in the end, most of them are kind of a mixed bag, but they're interesting, and that's, that is one of the things that I will say about the feature programming year in and year out is that even if I don't like a feature I get why it's at Renegade, and I I appreciate why it was a part of the festival. And I will admit, though, that was a bit tested this year. Um, and it had to do with a double feature, which we will get to. The first one was Retro Freaks, which starts off really rough, but was silly and fun. Um in terms of possession, in terms of kind of Evil Dead type uh, humor and horror. Stag uh, is a really strong character film 
where the horror is there, the horror elements are there, but really boils down to the dynamics of the fractured friendship at the center. And that's that's what made Stag so interesting. And I'm I'm glad to see that it did I believe it won best performance at the uh Lizzie Awards and it was it was deserved because it's a it's a uh, really terrific it's it's a really terrific character film even if it's not overly frightening. See the f- last feature that played at Renegade was a movie that Vanessa was a part of called Spooked. She helped produce it and it's a it's an entertaining paranormal film. It has a lot of good uh, moments of terror. Terror. It really leans into genre well, and when it is more readily available, I hope people will check it out because it's an it's it was an entertaining uh, watch. It wasn't part of the official selection. It was a special screening. Um, but was pretty good. It was it was definitely a uh, highlight of the film f- of the festival for me. That leaves uh, three feature films that I have not yet talked about. Uh, two of them I talked about in a uh, YouTube quick take, and that is the documentary uh, "Once in Future Smash" as well as its companion film "End Zone 2. I, I talked a lot about them in my quick take review. Uh, it's I continue continuing to think about them. It's it's still really bothers me that they felt the need to make End Zone Two. Uh, it's 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 disappointing because of the fact that it's like I I and I think I feel like if. I feel like I will have enjoyed Once in Future Smash more had they not gone all out and made End Zone 2. I, I feel like the moments we give End Zone 2 in Once in Future Smash are fine for how crazy it is, but if you try to actually replicate it, it's it's something that doesn't work. And that's that's a problem. Um, you know, it's not as goofy fun as Troll 2. It's honestly kind of boring, and Zone 2 is. And I didn't mention it in my review of Once in Future Smash, but I've got to say, you know, they they have the film fest, they have the convention take place in 2020. If you're not familiar with when that fe- convention takes place, it's really hard to just see the year that convention takes place and not think, uh, COVID anybody? Apparently it takes place in February, but I don't know that. And a lot of general people don't know that. So why don't you mention, oh yeah, this takes place in February 2020. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense then. That was another thing that kind of irritated me about Once in Future Smash. Which is disappointing because it, it's genuinely an entertaining use of the mockumentary form, but I it just didn't sit with me for the most part, and that's that's uh, 
that was that was kind of a problem, and um, you know it it's it's one of those things where you know not every not you don't expect every feature film or movie to really connect with you. I was kind of as much as I was I'll admit I was kind of dreading that one going in. I was disappointed still that it couldn't stick the landing. And um that was that was that was problematic. Uh that being said, there was one feature film that stood above and beyond and that was Give Me an A, which was made in response to the overturning of Roe versus Wade last year. And it is a tremendous uh, sense of collaboration between all of the filmmakers involved and continuity and it is just a remarkable overall achievement i had the pleasure to talk to uh the creator of the uh movie natasha halevi and producer jessica galmore at the rap uh mixer for the film festival and i hope you enjoy that conversation Okay, I'm here with two of the creators of Give Me an A, one of the award winners at the Rangade Film Festival. Uh, what are your names? I'm Natasha Halevi, and I'm Jessica Galmore. And I, I have to say, based on everything I've heard from other people, I know for me personally this was far and away the feature of the festival. Um, and I know it was one that a lot of people were waiting, were looking, were wanting to see. Um, the thing that struck me so much isn't unfortunately that had, you felt like it had to be made because given the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it needed to be made. Um, but how quickly everything came together. Can you shed some light on that? Wow. Okay. So, um, there's. Thank you for recognizing that. We're so. First of all, we're so happy to be at Renegade Film Festival. It's such a special, important festival that is like um, a champion for films like this that mm -hmm. uh, where people are trying to communicate um, a need. Uh, uh, a, shift that needs to happen in society you know renegade film festival it used to be called women in film festival and vanessa realized like that needed to shift because there were people being left out that needed their voices raised and we need our voices raised um and um that is the thing that made it happen so fast when it really comes down to it we knew we had to something to say and we had to say it really fast logistically it can get a little bit boring the, the truth is like we had to do it so we did it Logistically, like, we were running, um, and we had so many specific um, components that came together, um, and Jessica is a key part of one of those things because uh, creators want to create and spend time and think, and we didn't have time to spend time and think, and that's part of um, what makes this really unique is because it's a, it's a gut reaction. Like, it's very raw, 
you know, like the everything that everybody wrote, it's like immediate and nobody had time to like fix it. Nobody yeah. had time to say like, oh, this might not be, this might not be palatable to this audience. This might not be funny enough. This might not be clever enough. And so we didn't have time for that. So what you see is a very raw gut reaction. And to implement that is like a whole other thing. Um, and I'll let you, Jessica, speak to some of like what that took that was so important and like logistical. Um, so basically, I came on like a week or two after Tasha had already talked to everyone, had every all the filmmakers pretty much together and knew what they were making. So then I came on as pretty much the first AD for all of the projects, like for the entire project. And what that means is that I have to go and read everyone's script and then break it down and make it work for the day. Like, a pro some projects had two days, most of the projects had one day. So it's like, and then a couple projects had company moves. So you have to say, okay, how does this script gonna work and how do you do this logistically all throughout the day? And, you know, it was tough. It was tough. I was just very thankful that I was off of work, number one, <laughs> and then I, I could focus on it. But it was just something that was so important yeah. that needed to be done. Yeah. And there are so many pieces like that that were so um, essential to filmmakers being able to make something. Um, you know, it could it could literally could not have happened any other way. Um, Keslow Camera Company came in and they donated camera equipment. Couldn't have happened without that. Yeah. We had a really great um, lighting company work with us in LA and a different company work with us in Atlanta. Couldn't have happened without them stepping up. So so many people stepped up and made this possible. It's it's very unusual to be able to make a film this fast. Roe versus Wade was overturned June 24th. We within a week had our first meeting. It was a Friday. June 24th was a Friday. The next Friday we were meeting. Three days later we had log lines. Within a week of that we had scripts written. We had a really great team of mentor producers. Um, Falgani Lakani Adams, who's a, a producer at Vice, Sarah Smith, who's a producer with Marvel, uh, and um, Judy Greer, who's a prolific actress, all read the scripts. We got very serious notes and had revisions within another week. We were shooting in less than a month of Roe versus Wade being overturned. So moving that quickly was crazy. That is, and that is absolutely incredible. And one of the things that was so impressive about this was the way that everything that is so complicated logistically because like like you said, you had you had you had people shooting in LA, you had people shooting in Atlanta. Yes. And all of that had to come together. Like how, and like you said, everybody had different types of tool schedules. That is, that is a remarkable juggling act. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously everybody's got to be on the same page. Were there yeah. any particular, uh -huh. were there any particular things that you, you all decided needed to be a part of every particular segment? Or was everybody kind of on their own as far as 
what type of stories they tell. <laughs> I, that, this makes me laugh because from the beginning, I pitched this to everyone as something re relatable to like a 48-hour film festival. And in a 48-hour film festival, everyone gets their assignment, they go up, they do it on their own, they come back, they've got something. I realized very quickly that if we were really going to make something that could have an impact, that couldn't happen that way. That we needed to like make something cohesive. We had to have camera equipment that was the same across all the projects, lenses that were the same across all the projects, scripts that sort of tied in together. We had to make a lot of adjustments and we had to do it really quickly. So this is like a really a testament to all the filmmakers. Everyone was so ready and open to make changes. They were just sometimes little changes, sometimes big changes, but people understood that like for some reason they needed to make shifts because it had to all live together and nest together and live in a world where you could watch the whole film as one even though you were looking at individual different stories. 17 different projects, 15 different directors. It's a big thing to get that many different people and concepts and ideas that are so different yet so similar and, and coming from the same need to fight for women's rights, fight for reproductive rights. Like, you know, it, it, it is really um, special to be able to do that. And we did work really hard to make it unified. Yeah, no, we did. It was, it was, it was interesting just from my standpoint, just because I've been an assistant director for a while, and just being able to work with other creative people and like figuring out their how they work within yeah. their own realm and then bringing my expertise to help them mm -hmm. and like and a lot of people were very receptive to that and I was thankful for it so I was like okay good at least like I know I'm, I'm on the same page like I'm not your enemy I'm right. just yeah. you know and and some people were like oh she's trying to schedule way too much out of the script like no 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 I promise you this is how you're gonna get it done this is yeah. how we get it done yeah and here is why um, but no, we, we really just came together, and not even all the projects that we had were able to film. There was there was one project we were very sad that we couldn't film because honestly, it was my favorite script. It was the one that I saw that I was like, this would take a week to do yes. properly. Yeah. To reading the script and breaking it down, I said we would need a week, and you would want to give it that week because it's a, it was an important story, and I felt so bad we couldn't do it. And and she was so nice and understanding yeah. but yeah that was that was tough being like understanding that not everyone's story is going to be able to get made yes and not everyone's story can be told the way that they want it to be told right. as well because it has to be all inclusive it has to be inclusive so yeah and I think you know this is this is the anthology format one of the things that I think so many people are accustomed to with the anthology idea is that it is, you know, something, usually it's different stories. Yeah. You know, you're not necessarily, sometimes you'll have stories that are interconnected by one element or multiple elements or multiple characters. This is not that. But there's this shared idea of the struggles. It is... The struggles that women have when it comes to bodily autonomy, most predominantly in the United States, but really the world. Yes. 
I mean, there are some places that are certainly making progress in that, and then there's us, which in the United States, we're, we're back to Yeah, we're backtracking for sure. And was there a, was there ever a time, because you, you, you already mentioned one story that unfortunately had to be cut, and you know, certainly with the time lo- logistics, it it's understandable, but it, it you can I can tell that it's disappointing that you weren't able to do it. Was there anything as far as the anthology format where some people thought about the idea of doing the same characters in different stories, or because of the logistics, that was just not really something anybody thought of? Yeah, we definitely had, you know, like having a shared character across an anthology can be a really cool idea. Um, we've some of the creators on this film have like toyed with that in, in on other projects as an anthology project of female filmmakers. So like some of the people in this in this group have worked together on anthologies before. Um, but for me personally bringing people into this project you know one thing is we're trying to express our reaction to Roe versus Wade being overturned the other thing is we're trying to use our art to share our thoughts with people but also to work through our own thoughts yeah so as somebody who is holding the space for people to be artistic it was really important for me to let everybody have their own story their own way um, while I was trying to be protective of making the whole film work together, I also needed to protect each individual artist so that they could share their truest version of their story in the best way possible under the circumstances that we had with the equipment we had under the timeline we had. So um, I definitely did not, we we all sort of agreed that that was what we were doing and and agreed that there was an importance to letting those characters that people felt they needed to create to tell their specific version of their reaction to losing their rights, losing bodily autonomy, seeing um, you know their their peers suffer maybe, or seeing recognizing that they had a voice and a lot of other people didn't, knowing that there were communi- communities where people might feel a certain way and they can't speak up, knowing that there are places where like people have gone through things and they have to be quieted so many things that people were working through that it was very important to let each artist carry their own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will say, though, there is connective tissue in the the cheerleaders. Yes. They bookend the film. Yes. One in a song that is very traditionally, you know, that is, that sounds very traditionally like a cheerleader rally but obviously deals with a lot of the issues that we, that women are going through. And then the other one, and then at the end, there's the end. Yeah. And one of the things that really struck me watching the film, because you have cheerleaders holding up the names of each segment with the names of the careers who are behind it. And one of the things that I really I noticed that I really liked as a connective aspect of really bringing the film to that place at the end is the fact that every segment 
you notice the cheerleaders, it feels like the signs are weighing down further and further. Really symbolizing just how how tiring, how tired they are from having this discussion. Yes. And was that something that was very conscious of yes. when you were doing that? Yeah, I mean, listen, cheerleaders are such like a quintessential American cultural iconic wholesome. female wholesome. wholesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Opposite of wholesome, wholesome, slutty, all the things. It carries all of that. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, cheerleaders came into existence to support a sport for men. Yes. So cheerleaders were there to support men, to cheer them on, to tell men that they're great. And women sort of said over the years, it, it, the, the cheerleaders mimic, the, the, the history of cheerleading mimics sort of what women have done culturally because cheerleaders now have taken on their sport. It's theirs. Mm-hmm. It's a sport. It's athletic. It's beautiful. It's competitive. It's inc- incredibly artistic, you know, and that has been a huge shift from where it came from. It's no longer just something to support a male activity. It is something that is empowering and full of strength. And so that evolution of the cheerleaders sort of already, of, of the American history of cheerleaders sort of mimics like what we have gone, what the American history is as, as, as women. Um, and, you know, the film starts off showing these cheerleaders in a locker room. Well, typically when you see cheerleaders in a locker room, it's sexy, it's hot. They're talking about boys. And in this locker room, you're looking at their legs and you are not thinking this is sexy and hot and whatever. You're just like, these are people having a conversation. You're listening to pieces of a conversation that are telling you that, like, the experience is... is different than what is perceived in film and television over many years and that carries on to then you know demonstrate the weight that they are carrying Um, young women are carrying this weight women of all ages are carrying this weight in the United States and it's pushing us and pushing us and pushing us so far that then we have a reaction and in the end they have a reaction and their reaction is quite strong and they are literally pushed through a physical evolution to become something different. Excuse me. Thank you. Um, who would you say... Would you say there's an audience that, is mo- that it is most important to watch this film? Yeah. Yeah. To, to me... It's it's the young, it's the it's the teens right now. Honestly, it's the like nine year old to fifteen year olds, like little kid, like little girls yeah. need to see this. And I say that because I have two nieces that are nine and almost turning thirteen, and they're gonna hit puberty. And like my family's from Texas, and we all live in a small town, and you just don't talk about your period. You don't talk about you know any sort of, you know, aging. You don't, you don't talk yeah. about any of that. And especially sex, sexual education is not something that you have until you're a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so it's, 
it's not, and I can understand where parents would say this might be too strong of a film to show a young child, which in some cases they are correct. But in a lot of ways, it's not. They should see this because they're going to watch it on TV anyway. My youngest niece, who's nine, watches YouTube and wants to be a YouTube star. They want to be a TikTok star. They see all of this immediacy from social media and from TV and everything else. And it's all sexually graphic. I mean, hell, I watched 90210 whenever I was a five-year-old. Yeah. Like, I wanted to be Brenda whenever oh. I was in, like, the second grade. And that, right. was, that was, like, something super, super high school and, like, something that yeah. I wouldn't actually comprehend. But somehow, internally, I comprehend it. And so introducing a movie like ours to a younger audience is actually very smart. It's not something that's radical. Yeah. And it, you, it's a talking point. It's a teaching point. And I think that's what a lot of people are scared of, is to teach people, like teach little girls, like this is what can go on with your body, and this is what happens whenever, you know, you have sexual intercourse, and you have to have a child. Because a lot of people don't, a lot of people in the South don't know it, you know. That's why we have musicals like Spring Awakening, you know, right. where, I don't know if you've seen it. It's like, I have not. It's, a, it's a based off a German play from the 1800s where you have a bunch of 14-year-olds and one of, the kid, one of the main characters gets pregnant, but she doesn't understand why. She's just in love with this boy and then something magical happens and then she gets pregnant, she has an abortion, she dies. And like, the play is not fun. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great musical and a great play, but it's, it's heavy and it's real life. And that's what people deal with all the time. I've, I've seen kids that are like, 14 years old, 13 years old that are pregnant. It's like, how do we get there? And how do we stop? But no one wants to stop it because no one wants to have that conversation. So I think for our film, it's important to show it to the younger audience. It's important, it's important to show it to middle schoolers, honestly. Boys included, because they're just as responsible. They don't understand. They think, oh, well, you know, and little boys be boys. And honestly, that's what I was thinking I, I was thinking it is important for men yes men or boys to yeah. see this yes. because we don't even though we say we we can say we can understand yes. what you're going through we really don't yeah, yeah yeah and I I think that's that's where this is this is by I absolutely completely understand where you're coming from too and I, I think that is that is I I think anywhere in that age Range is is important because of the fact that it's like, I mean, I know when I was growing up, like I was I was curious about R-rated movies. I was watching. Them. Sure. And I mean, you, it's only more just, accessible now. Than yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, because of YouTube, because of TikTok. Sure. They're going to find that if they want to find it. So, you don't yeah. even have to go to YouTube or TikTok. No, like, you can just Google turn it. on the television. Yeah. yeah. First yeah. of all, you can just Google, just Google it. But it. also, TV. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. all my favorite shows. Believe me, they're showing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's... Um, yeah. And yes, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, when people are like, this is a great film for women, the primary audience is women. I'm like, women already know this. Yeah. They don't... They're not like... They might see this and relate to it, and that's really important. But it is something that, like, you know, when you can see, that's what's so magical about film, is you can put your yourself for an hour, two hours, into somebody else's shoes, 
and experience something a whole new way and like that's like really important and that's what starts a conversation and that's what allows us to expand our acceptance of people in different ways or or maybe consider another alternative idea you know like there's a lot of with this specific topic like there's a lot of propaganda yeah. and a lot of verbiage used that is like totally inaccurate like really geared at pulling on your heartstrings in the wrong ways and it's just untrue and what we've done is tried to we've avoided like trying to beat anyone over the head with a here's our thoughts we're just showing you our reaction and that's all over the place it's done through horror it's done through sci-fi it's done through comedy it's done through dark comedy and it's just done in a way where you can interpret it how you want and it's our our feelings and our emotions and our response and from there there's a much bigger opportunity for an opening for a conversation so we're trying to we're trying to open the conversation not shut it down it shuts it down when you try to tell someone it has to be this way listen I'm not going to try to lie here I want bodily autonomy for everyone I want women to have access to their health care which involves abortions I want anyone with a uterus to have access to health care. I want people to have equal rights. I want people to live in an equitable world. So there's no hiding what I want, but what we're showing with the film is our feelings about having some of those things ripped away from us. And that's a conversation starter. That's not i I'm gonna tell you how it has to be. I'm telling you, listen to how I feel about this and now can we talk about it and maybe consider changing it. So that's what we wanna do. So. I think this film is made to be seen by a much larger, wider audience than you might think when you hear this is a film that is a response to Roe vs. Wade made by women who want rights to their body. It's open for conversation. We are ready to talk about it. We are open to the fact that people have different thoughts on it, and that's what our film is trying to do. And and I think that's one of the things, and that is one of the things that makes the movie so impactful when you do see it. And the fact that it does it through different genres. The fact, and that's, that's what I love about genre films in general. Because of the fact that it really, it, it uses the realms of fantasy to illuminate ideas that we deal with in the real world. And there are, but there are also very real world situations we're seeing in this in this film, in each of the segments, and that's that's one in the way that the conformity is like that you guys were talking about earlier that was so important to you. That's where that's so that makes sense because even though each segment is going from genre to genre, there it's all about the same conversation being had. It's all about the same conversation being started. Yes. And I, I really, I really appreciate the fact that I had the opportunity to watch the movie here. And like you said about Renegade, that's, that's one of the reasons I love coming to Renegade. I've been, this is my third year of Renegade. I, I feel like my eyes are open every time I come. And it's voices that you get. It's voices like yours that have helped me with that, and I really appreciate you bringing the film to Renegade, and I had the opportunity to see it. Thank you. 
I do hope that this film is I do hope that this film is a conversation starter for many for much more people. I'm sure there are like like you said, I'm sure there will be some people that are just like, oh I don't wanna see it. Sure. I really hope they change that. They I really hope they change that. I do too. I hope so too. Because apart from the fact that this is a story about ideas, it's also a story that has some very entertaining elements. Yeah. And I that's that's what is so is what is so important about fiction is that it's able you're able to find an entertaining way into a series times and this does that exceptionally. Thank you. But yeah. I I appreciate your time tonight. It's I know it's getting late, but I again okay. congratulations. It might be two AM. It might not be. <laughs> but I, I do but I do appreciate your time. It was wonderful to see this film. It was wonderful to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for wanting to talk to us as well. No problem. When uh, Give Me an A becomes a more readily available, I, I hope people get a chance to watch it and take the chance to watch it and just take in what the filmmakers are going for. And I and their purpose is to just start a conversation. And it's a conversation we shouldn't be having at this point, but unfortunately it feels like we always need to have this conversation. And I, I appreciate the film for making me think even more about what it's like to have to deal with society as as a woman in these each of these uh, stories when it comes to bodily autonomy. I, I think that's I, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from Give Me an A. There's some really entertaining uh, segments in the film, but ultimately it's a it's a call to action, it's a call to activism. It is a call for understanding and just listening. And I I think it's that's the biggest value that a movie like Give Me an A can offer. And it was far and away the best feature at the film festival, and it won best feature film at the uh, film festival. So uh, we are going to continue with the short films and the festival in general. But before that, uh, I wanted to share an interview that I had with a screenwriter who is back for the second year in a row. I interviewed her on the podcast last year. Uh, she has screenplay uh, in the screenwriting um, competition last year as well as this year. And this year she was the runner-up in the short film competition. It is uh, Megan Fitzgerald, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. So I'm here at the Rangade Film Festival with Megan Fitzgerald, and she is a screenwriter, and she was here last year with a screenplay in the short film uh, 
competition, and she had another one here, and she was actually the runner-up in the short screenplay competition. Megan, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. And uh, like we did last year, uh, what exact... First of all, if you could say the name of your screenplay, and then just give us an idea of what's a, what it's about. Sure. It's called Kindness Coins, and it's based off of the... You know, the quote from Sylvia Plath, like, women aren't just machines that men could put kindness coins into until a sex falls off. Um, and it's about an artist who orders a muse robot to inspire him to make his art. Okay. All right. I know we were we were talking about it a couple of nights ago at, um, with uh, some of the other people here at the festival about how artificial intelligence is, seems to be kind of in vogue in terms of setting a, a, a story, whether it's horror, whether it's genre, uh, whether it's science fiction, um, within the realms of AI. Thinking about like Steven Spielberg's film, think about Ex Machina, think about Megan recently. Uh, what was what was the idea? Um, where did the idea for this come from? even though it's a sci-fi film and I'm also inspired by, you know, Ex Machina I loved and Twilight Zone I loved and it's got its, you know, weird little like robots do stuff, Black Mirror and everything, but weirdly enough this screenplay was inspired by art history. Okay. (laughs) Because, um, you know, like there's uh, like Pablo Picasso like he's notorious for like he has a lot of muses and he uses them and abuses them and throws them away and gets a new one. And even one of them, like, uh, unalived herself because she couldn't handle the, the you know, being used and discarded. And then another artist named uh, Auguste Rodin, and he's a French artist, mm-hmm. and his, his muse and his student was Camille Claudel. So in the screenplay, like, I referenced that the lead character's name is Camille, and the lead artist's name is August. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, that, that is, I, I love the different inspirations that people uh, bring to that and how especially even in screenplays it's important to not necessarily think about it just in terms of okay what movies is this like Uh, because obviously you don't want to repeat what somebody else has done but also uh, what what ideas um, inspire us is it is it a connection to Sylvia Plath or art history that you found your that you've kind of found yourself in that led you to this idea? Um, a mixture of both but mostly art history. Um, okay. And then because I we I, I'm an art history major by the way, so that's okay. where all my art history stuff comes from and I'm such a nerd. Um but we were always taught, like, from the muse's point of view, like, Camille Claudel is a famous French sculptor, but she's always tied to her problematic muse relationship with Auguste Rodin. And it actually, and she was actually committed, and she actually had a horrible end of her life because of the aftermath of that. And then same with the Picasso muses, we also talked about those in class, because I took a woman in art class, so we dealt more into women's side of history or history than men usually and so 
And then uh, the reason why I wrote this particular script at the particular time I did was because I see the same thing happening now, where like I've seen a lot of male identifying artists who they they're quite insecure, so they put all of their eggs into a, a muse, and it's usually a female identifying muse, mm -hmm. and then they use them and they. Have throw them away and then they get a new one mm -hmm. and then I was I was kind of perturbed because I was like you know these artists are treating their, their muse like their things instead yeah. of like people and then I was frustrated about that so then I was like what if like she's a robot like what if this muse is a robot and she's ordered to be that's her job like this is your job and and it's like well I don't like this job I didn't and then in my screenplay the robot, she's gaining artificial intelligence, and she's waking up and realizing, like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, I, I was, I don't want to do this. I have my own hopes and dreams outside of just being here for you to inspire you. That's, that's one of the things I've always really loved about stories about AI, story about robotics. I mean, you, you see that whether it's dealing with uh, AI. I mean, After Yang was an excellent example this past year. Yeah. And, uh, but also, even going back to Asimov's uh, robot stories, you, you kind of get that idea as well, where what is it about a robotic intelligence and an artificial intelligence that how, how did... How is it they react to humanity, and how do they react when it comes to human concepts? And I mean, that's that's one of the things that that's part of the reason I love AI, and it's my favorite Spielberg film because of the fact that it deals with that fundamental idea of even if you try to create a child robot that is based on an artificial intelligence that it learns or that's programmed to learn why what's to say that can't genuinely feel those things and that's, that's one of the things I always find fascinating about AI Me too. exactly and, and that's a perfect example too by the way because the way that the, the movies I love that deal with AI and then I see it in my own script as well even though my robot isn't a child but she has a childlike mind mm -hmm. and she's learning about the world for the first time so AI to me like what makes it be a beautiful storytelling tool but also scary is that AI is like a childlike you know like a child seeing the world for the first time and it loves the world it loves humans and it's learning and stuff but then it realizes I've got more power than the world and people and and they see that things don't make sense. Well, like uh, Hal from uh, yeah, two thousand one. Yeah, so, and and it's disturbing because Hal, what Hal is doing is so frightening, but it makes sense mm -hmm. in the scheme of everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. I and that's that's one. It's as always as one of the great quandaries of science fiction. That's one of the great ideas in science fiction. Uh, and obviously, I mean, it's it's inspired so many different ideas. And, you know, now we're seeing more artificial intelligence concepts really start to come to life, relatively speaking, in the real world. And 
is what what are some of your thoughts on those things? Oh boy, um, I have I think I have the same mix of I think it's beautiful and amazing how it's progressing. It like like you know when I was a kid they did not have any of this stuff right, and it's it's progressing so much. But at the same time, it's it's changing things, and those are things that I'm not sure good or good changes are bad because I don't know if you've seen this on, on social media, like people are making AI art now, yeah. or they're, yeah. they're they're using that yeah. app to do their portraits in AI, and all my artist friends are freaking out because they're like, we are going to be replaced by this AI, and that was like what eight dollars and ninety nine cents, where it's like an artist you'd have to pay yeah, like, basically. Yeah. way more to cover their basic costs, right? And I'm I'm an art major too, so I'm like, ooh. So as an art major, I'm like, oh no. Um, but but then they're beautiful portraits and mm-hmm. they're well done. So then I'm not gonna. I mean, the artist in me is not gonna totally just dismiss. Yeah. What they do, but it it does. I mean, it's always it's always uh, it, it's always that complicated question as technology progresses. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a musician, so it's like the, you know, I I remember, you know, reading when like sampling came into being in synthesizers, and people freaked out about it because it's like, oh my god, musicianship is dead. It's like, no, it's just adapting. And I mean, I can definitely see, I can definitely see the downside of artificial art, but at the same time, it's a different form of technology it's a diff- it's just a different evolution and I mean I, we could start to see something that's very radically different where um, you know and I mean honestly like look filmmakers have been using computers to create art for decades now yeah. and you know it's it is one of those it, it's always one of those questions of as technology grows what is our what is our responsibility in using it, but also what is, how do we react to it? Ooh, that's a great question. And that, and that was in my, my screenplay, right? Because like, because uh, okay, this, the robot in my movie, she comes in a box and you have to put her together and everything. Yeah. And then she has a manual. So her manual says like, she is there to make your dreams come true. That's what it says right. to the artist, right? But then the artist is taking more advantage of her, and he's abusing her. Like, it's a slow burn, right? And then it comes to the point where she's had enough, and she just, like, and she reacts how she reacts in the story without giving it away. Because it's like, you know, like, if if he treated her as she should have been treated, which is like, she's this machine, she's here to help me but he's doing other things to her and with her that's very, like, this isn't what this technology is for, right? And that's the age-old question or quandary as well. Like, you know, we invent a really great thing that will help us as humankind, but humankind uses it for bad things. Yeah. And it's so sad and bittersweet. Is this this something that is, is this screenplay, or are you... Actively looking right now, as far as getting it made, or do you have other things that you have that you're working on getting made now? Oh boy, I I always have my I have my collection of scripts that I'm I'm working on and trying to get made. So like kindness coins, I I, I want that to be animated, so that one's going to be more 
money. Um, yeah. And I will <laughs> I should just hire AI like app to animate the movie for me. <laughs> and then uh, I don't know, it'd just be like <laughs> I'm like, see, it's a quandary. And everyone's like, wow, that's messed up. Um, but uh, I'm looking to produce my other scripts, uh, People in Box from last year, and okay. then uh, my other script, The Boneyard. They're both smaller, real, you know, live action movies and stuff. All right. Um, and then I'm always work. I'm working on a TV show as well. So I'm always just like. But um, kindness coins. I have my set plan for it. I'm collecting money. I'm, I pitched it to a few people. I pitched it in London last year. So. It's gaining more, I don't know, it's gaining more, um, I don't know, I, I feel like the times are changing for it, so people are, are reacting to it a lot more because, uh, I mean, even Megan just came out on this quandary about the AI art, you know? Like yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and then plus the, the abuse of the muse as it tells all this time, mm -hmm. because like Camille Claudel, she was in the 1800s, and then Picasso was in the 1900s, and we're still... Well, Megan, I I appreciate your time, and I appreciate I I appreciate your ideas. Your ideas, of, uh, when we've talked about it, they they're always so fascinating to, and they have so many different questions that they ask, and I I I definitely hope to see them brought to life on screen at some point in the future. But uh, even even then, I do hope they keep going, even on the written form. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that so much because it's so, or from my perspective, and as I'm sure the other folks have talked to you about, you write weird, like you get a weird idea, and then you're writing this idea, and you're like, is this too weird? Like, yeah. is this too, and then it was art history, right? And I'm, I don't know people who are art history nerds like myself, so I'm like, do people even care about this stuff? And then, so it's always, like, that's why I always appreciate, like, even these festivals and talking to people, and then it's this beautiful payoff of, like, yes, people are talking about this, or they do want to talk or ask questions or debate, and they have thought of it, but the script maybe reminded them today of this thing that they should think about. You know, like, it's, I'm yeah. truly, like, blessed with all of this. But... Yeah, thank you very much. And it's been good to see you at the festival again. One of the things I like about all of these conversations I had this year is that all of them really kind of get to the sense of community, the sense of discussion that filmmakers and press and everybody at the festival can have like we can go from a very specific topic in terms of the film that the film or the project that the person is talking to and go into larger ideas on that that particular topic and that's very exciting and that's one of the things that I love about this film festival year in and year out it is a terrific it's a terrific experience, and I, I thank all of these women for their time. With that being said, uh, let's get to the short films proper. And this was an uncommonly good year. 
this is one of the strongest blocks collective series of films that I think I've seen at a film festival. Like I said, when End Zone 2, which is essentially a bonus feature to a mockumentary, is the biggest dud I, I see throughout the festival. You're doing something right when it comes to programming. There weren't any short film blocks where I felt like, oh man, this is this is this is gonna be rough. All of these short film blocks. There were some that were just good, but m most of but when it got really good is when it is is when the film festival got great, and there are some terrific examples of that throughout the festival. Um, some that I are not part of my best of list for this festival that are ones that really connected with me are Haves Through Night, Gladiators, Thursday, um, The Sprayer, Good Neighbors, The Devoted, Moonlight Sonata with Scissors, Discovery, The Night Courier, and Lovestruck, as well as Chicks and Violet Butterfield, Makeup Artist for the Dead. All of these are really good films. The fact that they are not necessarily part of the best of the best for me is not to say they're not well worth watching. They are very much well worth watching. They're all entertaining or enlightening or insightful and emotional in their own way. And I, I love that I saw them all in the context of Renegade. And it is absolutely, it, it's absolutely a terrific example of the variety of stories as well as the sense of purpose that a lot of these filmmakers work with. And that is something that is always appreciated when it comes to filmmaking. Because filmmaking is not easy, and not everybody can do it. And these filmmakers, they, they do it about as well as you could ask for. Going into the favorites I had throughout the film festival, uh, Knit One Stab Two was a fascinating video essay on the symbolism of knitting throughout film and especially through genre. Dirty Rotten Tofu and the Gohan Girls was a terrific revenge western that looked great and felt very pure towards the genre. Violet Days was an absolutely haunting story of connectivity with two friends, one of whom is getting ready to leave. Boohag or Shadow Man was a darkly funny example of a film of the conjuring uh, genre, subgenre of horror. Stuffed looks at what happens when a friend wants to be remembered by one of their best friends 
And uh, so he gets himself taxidermied after he dies. Kickstart My Heart was a really riveting look at a woman fighting for life after an accident. Solita is a haunting film with a really painful, uh, with with a very painful um, denouement regarding a cat, and that's all I'll say. But it looks fantastic, and it really sticks with you. Um, and then one of the films that was in the side splitting was uh, number twelve, which is basically about a woman who hears about a serial killer in her neighborhood and we see what the truth of her of her character is and it's a film written and directed by Nani Shiverick whom I talked to last year she was the screenwriter of Scales she had number 12 here which she had said she did specifically for Renegade. And she also was the winner of the Feature Screen Ring Award uh, for her screenplay. And we had a chance to talk again at the after party um, for the festival. And I hope you, uh, hope you listen to that, hope you enjoy that discussion. Who am I with at the Renegade Film Festival? Hi, I'm Noni Shiverick. I was the writer, producer, and director of the short film Number 12. I'm also the writer of the feature screenplay The Other Side. And The Other Side won you another Lizzie. It did. It's Congratulations. My s- Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it is always an honor to take home a Lizzie. This is my second time. Um, and I, I honestly couldn't be more pleased. I, it was amazing. I didn't expect it, and... It was yeah, amazing. yeah. That's that's one of the one of the things I love about uh, Renegade is the fact that during the awards, during the awards, it, it always feels very up in the air, and that's very counter to you know what we go through every year with award season and stuff yeah. like that. It seems like by this point we pretty much know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's like the antithesis yeah. of the Oscars, and I think well, it's a combination of really really strong films kind of throughout every single block, and yeah. Than the fact that everyone here, we're all a bunch of just big film nerds that don't expect to win anything, <laughs> and then we do, and we're like, oh, God, I, I won a thing. How am I supposed to... This doesn't happen. I don't win things. Yeah, and you and you and I have talked about it throughout the festival, how how strong this, this year is mm-hmm. as far as the competition. I mean, you were in the side-spling uh, short film block with number 12 and even there there were so many terrific uh possibilities in that one i mean one of one of the films that was in our block um choose your weapon was nominated for so many awards like so many lizzie's they were nominated for and it's i have to say probably the best comedy block i've seen at a film festival period and so the fact that vanessa was able to curate this absolute baller comedy block is a real testament to what's happening in the horse scene right now. Yeah, and I mean that's that's one of the things that I really love about this festival is that there are so many different varieties of horror. It's not just one particular type of horror. Even 
during a particular block where there's you expect there to be a specific theme, there are different variations on that theme that are really exciting. Yeah, it's like the most exciting ice cream shop you could ever shop at. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about number 12. Uh, it's your second year in a row having a short here. Yeah. And it's very different from uh, the one you were here with last year, Scales. Basically a 180. Yes. Yeah. Scales was very dark, very um, cryy. Um, and number 12 is not that. It is straight comedy. It was made to have fun. Um, we shot it in five hours. Uh, Scales was, you know, angsty. And number 12 was... I wanted just I wanted to make something that was pure fun, both for the audience and for the people filming. And we shot it in a day. We drank a bunch of margaritas afterwards. <laughs> we made it to get into Renegade. That was yeah. the goal because I had so much fun here last year. I was like, oh my gosh, I I want to get in here again. And I knew I had this other film that was going to make the festival circuit, but I really just wanted to make something just for this festival. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of in a way, a little artistic love letter to this festival because this is probably the only festival that would look at a very bloody comedy yeah, and be like, you know what, there's value to that. Most of the time, they don't know where to put you. They, Yeah. One of the things that I, I love about num- number 12 is the fact that it is, nominally, it's a serial killer movie. Yeah. And that's the setup, but... The punchline is very, very different, and you're not quite sure where that punchline is going to head once certain elements are brought in. Yeah, I I definitely wrote it for, like, I thought of the initial twist, Mm -hmm. and, like, the setup was like, oh, a woman comes home, there's a serial killer on the loose, and then I was like, oh, wait, and then a twist, and and then I kept thinking of, like, how can I twist this further? How can I just, like, keep surprising people? and finding ways to, like, amp up the absurdity. Mm. Because with comedy, that's... I feel like with horror and comedy, there's this element of, like, taking a really human experience and either, like, amping up the stakes to make it horrifying or amping up the absurdity to make it comedic. Mm. And with a horror comedy, you kind of get to do both. And you just get to, like, fire at all cylinders and... That is what we did, and I think we really succeeded and checked all of our boxes. We're like, it's kind of dumb, it's funny, it's short, and people mm-hmm. are going to laugh for five minutes, and then... And especially because of the fact that um, horror comedy, they're both... Uh, I, I, I think it was mentioned yesterday during the block, they're essentially two sides of the same coin, because they're both completely based on the subjective reaction of the audience. Yeah. And so nailing that down is very particular. Yeah, I think, you know, I I think horror and comedy both get a very unfair shake in the industry at large. I think they're both the hardest genres to nail down because Mm -hmm. if you don't get the audience on your side, as you were saying, you lose them. You, you, You need to scare them or you need to make them laugh. And I always say, like, if I have a comedy film playing in a festival, all I want is for people to laugh. Yeah. When they're supposed to laugh. Like, I don't I don't want anything else. I'm like, please just laugh when you're mm-hmm. supposed to laugh. Because if you don't, then I failed as a filmmaker. And I think it is the hardest genres to accomplish because you are, you have to take something that's going to move people. Yeah. But then you have to, like, push it to move them in a certain way. And that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the feature-length script that you have. 
uh, that you won for. What exactly is that about? So that is, it is a mis- mix of fantastical fun and also really, really dark. It is, I I do continue. I've, I've had people ask me, like, when are you going to stop making making films about rape? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just keep going back to that well. It moves me creatively and it helps me process things. But the film is an inverted ghost story. So it's a ghost story told from the perspective of the ghost mm-hmm. and she comes back as a ghost to get revenge on her abuser and it, she starts out she's mentored by another ghost and the initial plan is to kill him and then they realize that isn't actually going to help her pass on to the other side yeah. and so she has to instead haunt his other victims so that they actually go to the police and get him justice and mm. I wrote the script during like the initial like, I just moved to LA and then Right when I moved to L.A., the Me Too movement started happening. And all of a sudden, I just had this idea of I wanted to tell a story about women seeking justice against their abusers. And then, obviously, because I'm me, I was like, and they're ghosts. (laughs) So, um, and it's, it's set in a circus, which to me is a really important metaphor because there's something, like, glitzy and naive and, like, childlike about a circus. And this instead keeps peeling back those layers, and you see the systemic abuse happening, like how people in power are enabled, and yeah. how. So it, it's very much a story about abuse and power dynamics, but with ghosts and in a circus. And it's a. And I was shocked at one. I was really happy, and it's. A, I love the story. I would love to one day direct it. Yeah, I mean that's that's really kind of an interest. It's a really interesting. Uh, take on it and I'm I'm are there any particular movies or stories that inspired that Harvey Weinstein so thank you to him for that but I remember the week I moved to LA was when it broke Mm -hmm. and I we all knew about Harvey Weinstein and that's what frustrated me it's like I remember my first time on a film set was a really swanky commercial that was very, very well funded and then we were invited to an after party afterwards and at the time I was like a very young, I was very young and I was a dancer so I very skinny and I was told like if Harvey Weinstein comes to the party don't go anywhere alone with him yeah. and the fact that here's this person that's so powerful and everyone knows what he's doing yeah. and everyone just wants to turn away and I was like you know what That it's not just him, it literally happens everywhere all the time and because the people that have the power to speak out are scared to do it. So that is what inspired the story. And it sometimes when you write, you have to just like listen to what your gut tells you. And the circus was what happened. And, you know, you get a little bit into the afterlife element of... So my mom's really good friend's daughter commits suicide. And I had this... The main character commits suicide because she can't handle the abuse anymore. And I really wanted to explore, like, what if you had the chance after you commit suicide to, like, go back and see people reacting to your suicide. So what she sees when she comes back is her best friend grappling with her loss and also then the fact that she becomes the target of the abuse and it kind of kicks off the story. And, um, yeah, that's what... it wasn't a particular movie or story. It was, like, just all the things yeah. that were going on in this, like, one-month period of my life that I had to process my feelings about it and wrote an entire 
t-shirt. Well, that is that is certainly a fascinating story, and I, I do hope you get a chance to make it. Uh, I know last year we were talking about another short film idea that you have had the chance to make. I have. Um, it's my directorial debut. Um, it's called Dark Water, and I remember we talked about how I was... It was very much in the same vein of Scales, where Scales dealt with trauma and Dark Water is anxiety and depression, but it's using horror elements to tell that story. And um, and I wanted to direct it. I wanted to... I had produced so many short films and kind of realized I was at the point where I felt comfortable directing myself, and which at this point I hadn't felt com- comfortable at all, and we were able to run a very successful Indiegogo campaign, which I did not anticipate at all it was just floored me how much people wanted to support the project and I I honestly think so many people are dealing with mental health issues especially after the last couple of years that they were like yeah I want I want to tell a story about mental yeah. health because it makes people want to talk about mental health and mm-hmm. it makes people who are dealing with these struggles feel a little bit less alone and the short film is called Dark Water and it does not end happily <laughs> I tell people it ends on a noof um <laughs> But it's, you know, a very necessary story to tell. And, you know, I, I, I feel like as a filmmaker, I swing between, like, the oof stories and the ha-ha right. that was dumb stories. And, you know, I, get, I don't know. I guess it shows range. It, it just, it just, <laughs> just depends on the type of story that you feel like you need to say. Yeah. yeah it, either I want people to laugh or I want people to cry. Yeah, and exactly. Dark Water is definitely a cry one. Um, so, but it's it's premiering in a couple of weeks at the Cleveland International Film Festival, which was huge. Um, we were so excited to find out we got this really big premiere, and I got to announce it while I was at Renegade. So it was like the richest chocolate cake you made. It was yeah. so good. Well, congratulations on your win at Renegade. Congratulations on your success at Renegade, and I can't wait to see Dark Bar when. I get a chance to see Dark Water. Oh, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. I feel like you always... you Your uh, review of Scales was very thoughtful and kind of picking up on points that a lot of people had glossed over. So mm-hmm. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on But yeah, once Dark again, Water. it was very it was very nice to talk to you. Renegade, it was very nice to spend time with you and talk about the festival. Yeah, yeah, nice to talk to you. That brings us to the best films of the festival. I've already talked about Give Me an A. It was by far the best feature film of the festival. And now we come to my favorite shorts, my best shorts of the festival. The first one is a British offering called Choose Your Weapon, which really is a wickedly funny but also surprisingly emotional film that looks at parental anxiety of going out with your child for the first time and the ways in which it looks at that subject is are really terrific and i i i i feel like this will probably be one of the short films above any others that stays with me throughout the year. And it's it's a film that I would love to see recognized by a lot of other places because I think this is this is one that would play like gangbusters. 
at any festival, not just a place like Renegade. It is a fantastic story that gets a lot of emotion, but also um, really deals with a subject in, in a profound way, in its own way. Next up is Hashtag No Filter, which was from the There Will Be Blood block. And this one looks at the vanity of social media and the dangers of looking for vanity and validation on social media in a really profound way, in also a very visceral way. And it's, it's well worth taking in. And it's, again, it's just a riveting example of taking an idea and running with it. And the way this film, this one looks, the way it uses special effects is fantastic. And I cannot recommend it enough. Next up is The House Sitters. And this one was one where it's just a very effective example of genre just just executed perfectly. And I it's it, it won the audience award, rightfully so. There were some great shorts this year, but I love that the house sitters won because it really is it's it's kind of the purest form of horror that we see that we saw this weekend where it's it's just about terrifying you. It's just about creeping you out. And yeah, I mean there's there's story about friendship and all of that, but this is ultimately an exercise in genre, and it is such a terrific one. By far the best film I saw at the festival, whether it's a short film or feature film, was uh, Torn Together, and it is an experimental meditation on the importance of acceptance and what happens when acceptance is not readily given by those whom we whom whom care about who whom supposedly care about us and it really approaches the subject in a bold way visually and a profound way emotionally and this was this was one that as soon as it ended i i knew i saw one by far the best films of the festival was terrific to watch and i i really it it makes sense as being the the one that ends this up this uh discussion and i'm i'm glad that i had a chance to see it i'm glad i got to meet the filmmakers however briefly at the film festival and that goes for the filmmakers of all of these films and so many others. Um, it's this, like I said, this was an uncommonly good year at the film festival. And it's one of the best lineups I think I've seen at a film festival, just in terms of how 
much it all how much of this was just good and very good and there were very few ones where I'm like yeah okay I get it it's this isn't really for me but you know there were wasn't really a whole lot of that all of these were good in uh, their own ways and I I love that and uh thank you Vanessa once again for having me uh be a part of Renegade uh it's this is so different from covering something like Atlanta or Sundance it it feels like you're part of you're truly part of things when you're doing it and i i love that i love that experience and it's one of the things that i go back to year in and year out for Renegade and i look forward to many years down the road doing the same thing that's going to be it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Uh, we've got some great guests and great subjects coming up. Uh, we're going to talk about a living legend. We're going to talk about one of the great uh, actresses from Hollywood's golden age. We're going to talk about one of the boldest filmmakers now. We're going to talk about one of the most revolutionary independent filmmakers of all time. And I hope to return to the Atlanta Film Festival so I hope to have that at some point. And then there's going to be a lot of really great, some return guests, some first-time guests. And I hope you click subscribe, rate, and review, continue to follow the podcast. And I hope that's going to be it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Thank you for checking us out wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can always keep up with my reviews at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you.